Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ahoy, podcast listener. This is your host, Bodie. I had already recorded this week's episode, and then something amazing happened today. Number one, we got a... Uh, new patron, Scott. Scott, thank you very much for for becoming a, a patron of the show. It really means a lot, and I really appreciate it. But we also had uh, someone increase their pledge, which uh, was Gene. Gene just became a patron, and he's already increased his pledge. Thank you, Gene. It's very kind. Um, I do want to remind everybody that if you if you do give more than a dollar, that's always appreciated, but you don't have to. I want to keep this affordable for everybody. But uh, thank you very much. All of the money goes back into the show. None of the money goes back into my own personal pocket to pay bills or anything like that. My wife and I have jobs, and that's what we pay our bills with. So none of that is paid with, with your money. It just goes to make the show better. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. All right, let's jump into Tesla's Q2 Q1 2023 earnings call. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and we are going to talk about Tesla's Q1 2023 earnings call on this episode. I'm really excited to get to it. So let's jump in to Elon's opening remarks. Uh, Model Y became the best-selling vehicle of any kind in Europe uh, and the best-selling non-pickup vehicle in the United States. Um, and this is in spite of uh, a lot of challenges in production and delivery. So it's a huge credit to the Tesla team for um, delivery, uh, achieving these great results. Um, the, it, it is worth pointing out that the current macro environment uh, remains uncertain. Uh, I don't think I'm telling anyone they, any, anything people don't already know, um, especially with large purchases such as cars. And uh, while we reduced prices considerably in early Q1, um, it's worth noting that our operating margin remains among the best in the industry. Uh, we've taken a view that pushing for higher volumes and a larger fleet is the right choice here uh, versus a lower volume and uh, higher margin. Uh, however, we expect our vehicles over time will be able to generate a significant uh, profit through uh, autonomy. So we, we do believe we're like laying the groundwork here uh, and then it's better to ship uh, a large number of cars at a lower margin and subsequently um, 
harvest that margin in the future as uh, we perfect autonomy. Autonomy. This this is an extremely important point. So we mentioned on our last show that Elon or not Elon Tesla had lowered prices on their vehicles six times in 2023, which is great. Right now, the Model Y is calling to me at $49,900. I actually had a discussion with my wife today about maybe not getting the Cybertruck and getting a Model Y instead. Well, we, those are ongoing discussions. But anyway, the, the, his point is, is that they would rather sell more cars and have uh, more of an ability for them to sell full self-driving or enhanced autopilot than to sell a few cars and not have that ability to have those to generate income after somebody buys the vehicle. I do think that $15,000 is way too much money for full self-driving, especially with all of the investigations that are going on with Tesla right now and where full self-driving is in terms of, um, you know, development. It's, it's not there. And we might get a small admission from Elon that it's not quite there, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I, I don't want to give anything away. All right, let's jump back in, and Elon's going to start talking about Cybertruck. So regarding the Cybertruck, we continue to build alpha versions of the Cybertruck um, on our pilot line for testing purposes. It's, it's a great product, um, and we're uh, completing the installation of the uh, volume production line at Giga Texas, and we're anticipating having uh, a, a delivery event, a, big, a great delivery event, uh, probably in uh, Q3. Uh, uh, as with all n- new products, uh, it, it, it'll follow an S curve of, uh, you know, so production starts out slow and then accelerates. Um, so uh, the Cybertruck is no different. Um, so it's, it's you know, there's tremendous amount of demand for the product, obviously. Uh, it, it is, in my view, a fantastic product, a Hall of Famer. Um, uh, but it, as with as with all uh, new products, it takes time to uh, get the manufacturing line going, and this is really quite a very radical product. It's not it's not made in, this, in the way that other cars are made. Um, so, let's see, with regard to Megapack, we're making uh, great progress. Our energy storage deployment reached nearly four gigawatt hours in Q1. It's by far the strongest quarter ever. And this growth was achieved thanks to the ongoing ramp at our mega factory in Lathrop, California. Um, there's still some way to go to reach the full run rate of 40 gigawatt hours per year. Um, and then we additionally announced the start of a new mega factory uh, in Shanghai. So we were, um, as, as we've um, uh, expected, the stationary storage growth actually will significantly exceed the vehicle growth. Let's talk about Cybertruck first. Elon is going to get asked the question when we're going to get more details on Cybertruck. And his answer, this is later on, his answer is that there's going to be a handover event late Q3 2023, which we're expecting that to be September, and we'll get specs and pricing at that time, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. And it makes me mad even thinking about it, if I'm being honest. But I've already complained enough on this show about that, so we're going to move on to the Mega Packs. Uh, SRP, Salt River Project here in Arizona, it's an electrical utility. 
They're building a big mega pack site in Avondale, Arizona, or right around that area in Avondale. We're actually going to talk about it in one of our news uh, episodes, so I won't say too much here. But the Mega Pack and Power Pack, those are very popular products for sure. Next up, Elon's going to tell us a little bit more about autopilot and full self driving. Regarding uh, autopilot and full self driving, we've now crossed over 150 million miles driven by full self driving beta, and this number is growing exponentially. We're uh, I mean, this is a, a data advantage that really no one else has. Uh, those who understand uh, AI will understand the importance of data, of training data, um, and how fundamental that is to uh, achieving an incredible outcome. So, uh, yeah. So, um, we're also very, very focused on improving our neural net training capabilities, um, as it is one of the main limiting factors of achieving full autonomy. Um, so we're continuing to, to uh, simultaneously make uh, significant purchases of uh, NVIDIA GPUs uh, and also putting a lot of effort into Dojo, uh, which we believe has the potential for an order of magnitude improvement in the cost of training. Um, and it also Dojo also has the potential to become a sellable service uh, that we would offer to other companies in the same way that Amazon Web Services, uh, you know, offer, offers uh, more web services, um, even though it started out as as a bookstore. So uh, I really think that yeah, the, the Dojo potential is is very significant. Uh, in conclusion, we're taking a view that we want to keep making and selling as many cars as we can. Um, despite this being an uncertain macro environment, uh, this is a, a good time to increase our lead further um, and we'll continue to in- invest in growth as fast as possible. I've said it before and I'll say it again, full self-driving is way too expensive. Let's go ahead and move on to Tesla's chief financial officer, Zachary Kirkhorn, and he is going to give us his opening remarks. Uh, I want to start by congratulating the Tesla team for record vehicle production and deliveries. And I also want to congratulate our energy storage team for record volumes as well. There's three main points I want to make. First, automotive gross margin and operating margin reduced sequentially, but as Elon mentioned, these remain at healthy levels. In particular, automotive gross margin was impacted by a few factors since our discussion on the last earnings call which include additional action taken in the second half of the quarter to improve vehicle pricing, and one-time items, most notably warranty adjustments on older SNX vehicles, as well as increased deferred revenue for certain autopilot features as we transition technologies. Progress on vehicle cost reduction continued in Q1 with meaningful improvements on logistics and the beginnings of some commodity cost reductions starting to be realized. Per unit costs for Austin and Berlin improved as well, driven by record volumes. However, these factories still provide a margin headwind and will likely continue to do so until after we reach and stabilize at our intended volumes. Note that Q1 was our third quarter in our multi-quarter plan to move to a more regionally balanced mix of build and deliveries. As I've mentioned previously, this results in lower deliveries than production within a quarter due to a higher volume of cars in transit at the end of the quarter and has an associated impact on quarter-ending free cash flows. This was particularly prevalent in Q1 for S and X as we begin exporting cars for international deliveries. Second, our storage business is starting to take shape, and this is exciting to see after many years of investment and focus. 
This business is growing as a percentage of the businesses of the company's revenue and reached its highest level yet in Q1, driven by an increasing rate of deliveries for our Megapack products. We are also making progress on storage profitability, generating our highest gross profit yet in the quarter. Third, I want to reiterate the philosophy by which we are operating the business this year. Our approach is to grow volumes as quickly as possible in both our vehicle and energy businesses. We plan to continue to invest heavily into our future plans, which include the Cybertruck, next generation platform, in-house cell production, energy storage business, and our autonomy and AI-enabled products. And we plan to do this while keeping the business financially healthy and industry-leading. To accomplish this, we need to remain focused on cost efficiency and working capital, and in particular, unwinding the strategic inventory buildup left over from the pandemic. All right. I don't normally comment on Zach's um, opening remarks because I don't, I'm not qualified to talk about any of the stuff that he talks about. But some of the things that he said in there in terms of future plans, this is why we list, or this is why I cover the earnings calls because that gives us a glimpse into the future um, on how to pick stories and what's going to be important and what's not going to be important. So he mentioned the Cybertruck, the next generation platform is going to be really important, which I would agree with in-house cell production, their energy storage business, autonomy, and AI-enabled products. So going forward, or at least for the next three months, those are the things that we are going to concentrate on when it comes to news. All right, now we have our Say.com questions, which come from retail investors. And the first question is, uh, let's see, what is the process to make auto pricing adjustments? What variables do you consider? And how frequently do you review the prices? I think this is a great question. So let's go ahead and get into the answer. Yeah, I think this was not something that we, we can really talk about. It's just uh, uh, we, we do our best to evaluate the you know the production output, macroeconomic conditions, and, and we make a decision. But it's, yeah, uh, unless it's something you'd like to add, Zach. I think that's right. I mean, as a team, we review where we stand globally on a weekly basis and certainly can't get into the details of the reasons why certain decisions are made. But it, it is something that's very actively managed by a subset of the leadership team. Well, that was not helpful. Let's go ahead and go on to the next question. I, I promise that I just put that in because I thought it was funny. I won't be doing that for every question. The first question we're going to cover is how well are the 4680 cells meeting the expectation described on the battery day and how long will it be until the cells meet those goals? And initially you're going to hear from Drew Bagliano, senior vice president of powertrain and batteries. Yeah. So on, on battery day, we established a cost down roadmap through 2026 across five areas of effort. There was the cell design we discussed, um, anode cathode materials, the structural pack concept, and the cell factory itself. And we've been making progress across all these aspects since then. Um, for the cell factory, the the Texas 4680 factory, we you know are partway through building and commissioning and installing and operating. Uh, will be 70% lower capex per gigawatt hour than typical cell factories when fully ramped in line with what we described on battery day. Um, and we're continuing to further pursue densification and investment reduction opportunities in future factory buildouts like in Nevada. Um, on the cell design, we're in production with not only the 
first generation tablet cell we unveiled on battery day, but a second more manufactured version in Texas today. On the cathode material side, we have a number of activities underway per the battery day roadmap. Uh, for lithium, our Corpus Christi lithium refinery breaks ground uh, this May. Uh, our goal is to start commissioning portions of the facility board the, before the end of the year. Uh, the refinery uses the sulfate-free spodumene refining process with reduced process costs, no cast, acid or caustic reagents, lower embodied energy, and actually produces a beneficial byproduct that can be repurposed in construction materials. We discussed all of these concepts on battery day. Um, same with cathode precursor. We've successfully just demonstrated a lower process cost, zero wastewater precursor process uh, that we described on battery day at both lab and pilot scale and are in the detailed design phase for incorporating this technology into the front end of our Austin cathode facility. On cathode production, we are 50% equipment and 75% utilities installed uh, at our new cathode building in Austin, uh, with our goal to begin dry and wet commissioning this quarter and next quarter with a target to produce first material before the end of the year. Um, structural pack, we saw big improvements with pack manufacturing with the 4680 cell and the structural pack concept, 50% lower capex and 66% smaller factory for the same output uh, in gigawatt hours per year. Um, you know, we're, we, we do believe structural as a, as a concept is a good one. It's simpler. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to structurally load the cells and use the pack as the floor of the vehicle while iterating the design to closer to B-level execution of this A-level architecture in future programs. Um, and zooming out for the 4680 team, Q1 was all about cost and quality. We made significant improvements in both areas. On uh, Texas, production increased 50% quarter over quarter. Through yields increased 12%, and Cato peak rate increased by 20%, and through yields improved by 20%. Altogether, the team accomplished a 25% reduction in COGS over the quarter, um, and we are on track to achieve steady-state cost targets over the next 12 months. Um, and going forward for the rest of the year, the priority one is yielding cost for the 4680 program as we steadily ramp production ahead of Cybertruck next year. All right. That answer is all well and good, but what I really want to know is where they're at on that uh, progress bar. Are they 50% of the way there? Are they 80% of the way there? I understand different processes. They may be in different places, like they might be struggling in one area and, and really progressing in another, but all together, you can't get the product done until you figure all this stuff out. So I'd really like to know, in terms of the 4680 battery cell and all of the features that they promised, where are we if you're going to use a progress bar? The other thing that he said that I thought was interesting is that they're developing a second, more manufacturable uh, 4680 battery cell. So a second cell that's easier to manufacture. That's, that's inter interesting to me. And I wonder if there's any differences in terms of capabilities or if it's just easier to manufacture. But it sounds like the 4680 cells are heading in the right direction. And our next say.com question is, can you give updated specs and pricing for Cybertruck and any new features that will make it to production? I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert right here. You're going to be disappointed, or at least I was with this answer. Well, I think we'll save uh, that for the uh, Cybertruck handover, which will hopefully be around the end of Q3 this year. Um, and I, I, one thing I, I, I am confident of saying is that it's an incredible product. Um, it's a Hall of Famer, I think. Um, 
and a, a product like this only comes along once once in a long while so um people will not be disappointed at all it's amazing well i'm not going to belabor the point but i'm disappointed i feel like they should have a better answer than this Next up, we have our analyst questions. So let's go ahead and jump into our first one, which has to do with the FSD take rate. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my question. I was wondering, first, if you could discuss uh, your FSD take rates and whether you've seen any significant positive or negative change there. And also, you know, given that you've reduced uh, the prices for your vehicles, uh, do you think you need to do that for FSD as well? Thanks. Um, well, I, I'll decline to answer the, the details on the FSD take rate, but the it's it, it's a tricky it's a tricky pricing question because the the value of a car that is autonomous is enormous. Um, so in a way, the you know the price right now is an option value on uh, on on an autonomous vehicle, um, and and that that value is that you know will ultimately in be very very significant and um you know it's really really yeah i mean for those that are that are using the fsd beta i think you can see the the improvements are really quite dramatic um you know there'll, there'll be a little bit of uh two steps forward one step back between releases um and for those trying the beta but the the, the trend is very clearly towards full self-driving uh towards full autonomy and um you know, I hesitate to say this, but I, I think we'll do it this year. I don't hesitate to say this. They won't. Elon says this every year. He says it pretty much the same way. Anybody who's driven a car with autonomous uh, features with FSD features would agree that we're close. They're not. I don't, I don't have any hate for that in terms of like, it's hard. I get it. I understand why they're not there. However, um, they're not there. Uh, as far as FSD price cuts go, if Tesla's FSD take rates were really good, then that would be something that Tesla could actually crow about and say, hey, look, this is we're making all this money from this service over here. Uh, but they're not. So I don't think the take rates are very good. I could be wrong on that. I don't have any insider information, so I might be 100% uh, mistaken. But I don't think I am. And FSD is not complete. So when he says that you can't, uh, when he says that you the value of a car with, that is autonomous is enormous, you can't say that when you don't have a car that's autonomous. If I owned a 2016 Model S with hardware 2, I can't resell my car at a higher price because of a promise that you made in 2016 that didn't end up working out for people who purchased hardware two cars. You just can't do it. So I, I, I'm not trying to be testy about this because I think uh, that this is a hard problem to solve. But on the other side, I think Elon grossly overestimates the value of a promise that has not been fulfilled to this point. All right. Our next question is about Tesla's pricing strategy and a little bit of uh, RoboTaxi and some clarification on that. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking my question. Uh, maybe a first question for Elon on your 
pricing strategy. So if I understand your message, you're saying, uh, you know, Tesla feels it's worth maximizing the volume, increasing the size of the fleet um, as as fast as you can because you'll be able to monetize this over the the life cycle of the vehicle. Can you be a little bit more specific around ways you would be able to monetize sort of like this existing fleet um, in the future? Uh, obviously, I think autonomous seems to be a big piece of it. By my, yeah. my understanding, was that robo taxi would probably be for the next generation vehicle, not not the existing one. So. I guess uh, in which ways would you monetize it? Sorry, the, the robot taxi terminology can be a bit confusing uh, because that that's sort of like a generic term for our next generation uh, vehicle, um, and we obviously are working on next generation vehicle. It's going to be very compelling. This is just not the time to talk uh, about it in detail as a product. Um, so we, we we internally call it robo taxi, <laughs> but 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 really all of the vehicles that have hardware three which is the vast majority of our fleet, we believe will achieve full autonomy. So they will be robot, they will be a, a robot, like a Model 3 or Model Y would be a robo-taxi, um, a robotic taxi. Um, so yeah, that, that's to, to the best of my knowledge that we, we, we believe the, the current hardware can achieve full autonomy. Understood. Um, and then maybe a question for Zach, uh, back on the, um Automotive growth margin. So I think, I guess, uh, a few months ago, uh, you know, even after major price cuts, you felt pretty strongly that, uh, you know, 20% automotive growth margin was still, you know, probably a, a reasonable floor. Obviously, the macro has, you know, gone worse and additional price cuts have, have happened. Is is there anything else that has changed in terms of the outlook? Is it just the macro deteriorating? Is it the competitive landscape? Anything else that's sort of like... Uh, Makes you think differently around, you know, the full year, and is there, is there a way, therefore, to uh, to frame a floor? Yeah, um, you know, about you know, about half of the miss against that uh, previous conversation last quarter is attributed to adjustments we made in pricing in the second half of the quarter. Um, I mean, I guess you could argue that that lowers the floor in a sense. Um, we've also made pricing adjustments so far this quarter, you know, so that brings brings it down further. Um, about the other half of the miss in Q1 was uh, attributed to things that are non, non-recurring. Uh, so I mentioned these in my opening remarks. It's uh, uh, a warranty adjustment for cars that were previously produced, but not part of the pedigree of cars we're building now. and. Um, and some uh, autopilot-related deferrals as we make some technology changes here that those deferrals should get recognized once uh, some of the software catches up. So th- those two things are non-repeating. So ho- hopefully that helps answer your question. Yeah, I mean, th- there's there's really two uh, macro factors that are that are tricky. Um, uh, the the biggest being the 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 interest rate. So if the, if the if there's a very high Fed rate or interest rates are very high, that um, that that is every time that the Fed raises interest rates, that's that's equivalent to increasing the, the price of a car. Um, it makes the the cars less affordable because people uh, are able to buy cars as a function of what they can afford on a monthly basis. Um, so um, that that's that. The, so, so it's just it almost directly equivalent to a, a price increase is any kind of interest rate increase. Um, the, then the other factor is whenever there's uncertainty in the economy. Uh, people uh, will generally postpone um, uh, 
you know, new, new, big new capital purchases like a new car. Um, this is a natural human reaction. Um, so, you know, if, if, if people are reading about layoffs and whatnot in the press, they're like, well, they might be worried about, they might be laid off. So then they'll be naturally a little more hesitant than they would otherwise be to, um, buy a new car. And uh, now, now this, this is just the nature of the auto industry. It, um, you know, it, it, but, but the, the, there is, there will be a tremendous amount of pent up demand for new cars. So, um, but it goes through cycles. Let's tackle robo taxi first. Do you think that hardware three will hit full autonomy? I, I think you already know what I think. I'm curious to know what you think. Cause Elon says that they should, he just said it, that they should, but will they? And if they can't, will there be some sort of class action lawsuit against Tesla based on what Elon has said in the past? Because he's been pretty vehement that hardware three is going to get us to autonomy. And right now we're creeping up and hardware four model S and model X have it. I wouldn't be surprised if model three and model Y get it soon. So I'm curious, do you think this is going to work? Do you think hardware three will hit full autonomy leaving Robo taxis out of it, whether they'll be used for robo taxi or not. Do you think they'll be able to hit hardware three? Because publicly, Elon has said that hardware three will be robo taxi ready. Bodie, B O D I E at 918digital.com. And in terms of price cuts, we heard Zach give his financial stuff. Elon mentioned that the interest rate is really high, which it is. As somebody who's looking at buying a, a new car sooner rather than later, it looks like. But who knows? <laughs> I say that and then I back off from it because I really want a Cybertruck. But uh, the interest rate is really high. And the economy, people are getting laid off. And, you know, my job is fairly stable. I don't think I'm going to get laid off. I only have four more years until I can retire. My wife's job is pretty stable. So based on those things... I think we're okay. I'm not really worried about that so much. The, I wish the interest rate was a little less. Next up, we have another pricing question. Thank you. Uh, we, uh, so pricing, uh, a lot of pundits talk about uh, pie and losing share or gaining share. And uh, But how do you guys look at pricing versus EVs or ICE? vehicles or does that not come into the equation uh, sorry to ask about pricing again thank you no and it, it's really just like you know we're every day we get um, a, a daily real-time update of how many cars were ordered yesterday how many cars were produced yesterday we must have a if, if there's a company that's got more real-time data than than tesla I'd, I'd, you know i'm not sure i'm not sure there's any company on earth that has better real-time data than than Tesla, except maybe SpaceX, Starlink, you know. So, because um, because like we don't have to, you know, for the other car companies, they will uh, make the cars, send them to the dealers, then the dealers will sell the cars, and you know, and then it takes quite a long time for them to get the data back to actually figure out how many cars were sold. Um, whereas we know how many cars were ordered yesterday uh, throughout the world. Um, so, so our fingers on the pulse is, is real time. And does not have latency, whereas the other uh, car companies have a lot of latency in their data, as does the government. The government has a lot of latency in, in their data. 
So, so we're just looking at and saying, okay, um, you know, what, what, what does it uh, take to achieve a clearing price for our vehicle production? Um, and then we, we make a pricing change and we see what happens immediately. Um, and adjust course. So we're adjusting course and we're thinking about it literally every day, seven days a week. Um, every seven days a week, I look at that email and so is the rest of the team. And um, we, we, we try to make the least dumb decision that we can. Um, you know, and on balance, I think our decisions are pretty good. Um, you know, sometimes they'll be, you know, dumb, but on average, they're, I think, better than the rest of the industry. Just, just to add on the question about EV market share or ICE, um, th this comes up a lot. I think a lot of the public debate is around this concept of EV market share. You know, we don't look at it that way. I mean, we look at yeah. it as market <laughs> share of cars. It's, it's yeah. the car market, not the EV yeah, market. Yeah. And, and actually, the, the mission of the company requires internal combustion engine cars to be switched over to electric vehicles. So that's what we pay attention to. Yeah, I, yeah. I've said that last time too. You just we got to you guys got to stop looking at it as the EVB EV market. It's how many cars are we selling? Just start looking at it that way. All cars, all cars, all cars will be EVs. It's uh, you know, it's gonna. You know, I've said this for a long time. But we'll look back. I don't know. Assuming civilization's still around in twenty years, um, the, we'll look back on internal combustion engine vehicles the same way we look back on external combustion engine vehicles which like a steam engine a steam engine is an external combustion engine vehicle and you know there's still a few around they're kind of quirky and you know kind of cool collector's items uh, that's that's how gasoline cars will be in the future one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't really have anything to add to that other than I always look to make the least dumb decision every day. I don't... <laughs> 
this this really spoke to me because I don't think I make you know particularly smart decisions. I just try to make the least dumb decision. Uh, that's this is kind of my mantra. So I think everybody should strive to make the least dumb decision every day that they can. I like the way that Elon put that. And then the next thing is Tesla looks at the car market as a whole. Now it's not EV versus EV. It's it's car versus car. And I agree with them 100%. Our next question has to do with cost structures. It's a little bit nerdy, but I do think it helps us when it comes to predicting future prices for Tesla vehicles. And then also, I think it helps us understand the supply chain a little bit better. So let's listen to that question. Thanks so much, guys. Can you talk a little bit about how much of the, the actual cost structure is variable, um, you know, on, on these vehicles? And if you could give us a range on plus or minus the, the lithium cost within those contracted volumes uh, that, that you're seeing? Uh, well, I think you have to. Uh, I'll, I'll, again, you, we'd really love to have a crystal ball here, uh, but we don't have it. Um, it it, depending on what time scale you're looking at, um, the, the most of the car is variable. Um, so, uh, most like most car costs variable. So, and probably, if I were to guess, I I think we will see improved costs from suppliers. Um, you know, um, yeah, I, I think we will. Yeah, that 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 is our expectation. Yeah, and, and we're already starting to see that, uh, Elon. I think you know, you'd mentioned before we anticipated a crash in the lithium prices, and and some of that has flowed through by way of lithium carbonate reductions uh, into battery cost. Um, and the same thing will happen with lithium hydroxide. The length of the supply chain matters also because what we're talking about is is very far upstream. So by the time it you know makes yeah, it into the battery exactly. that's up in a car, it'll be several months. But, you know, beyond just the commodity pricing, as Zach mentioned earlier, we're also very focused on other metrics that make production very efficient. So, for example, detention and demerge, uh, air expedites. Uh, I think our air expedites are down 90 percent. Detention and demerge is down 93 percent uh, from the peaks. That's That can be hundreds of thousands of dollars per vehicle. So we're sort of attacking all vectors uh, and, and becoming very efficient. All right. I don't have much to add on that other than this is something that we're going to hear other automakers talking about as well. So keep that in the back of your mind when we uh, cover the other earnings calls. Ah, Let's see here. Next up, we're going to hear a little bit about stationary storage. Okay. Um, and, and then my follow-up is really around um, stationary storage demand on the utility scale. I mean, obviously, there's a gigantic queue uh, for, you know, interconnection in the U.S. And can you talk about, you know, the, the volume of quotation you're seeing at this point around you know, stationary storage uh, for that renewables queue on, on a global basis and, and how, how much of that is converting into actual sales? Drew, you want to take that? Um, I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't, that's also not exactly how we, we look at it really. Um, we're not like, yeah, we're not engaged in the interconnection queue. Like we're focused on ramping Megapack as, as quickly and efficiently as we can. And we have, you know, visibility into the pipelines of, you know, a variety of different renewable energy and, and just pure stationary storage developers. And we also develop our own projects and we're, we're mostly just Going, we're being selective and trying to pick the products that projects that best fit our mission and our objectives. 
Yeah, this again, this is not a product call, but we'll have something. I mean, this, we're making improvements on on on, on many fronts, including Meg Megpack. So I think some of those improvements will uh, improve the speed at which you can connect the Megapacks to the grid. We got a little tip of the hat, or maybe a a, a glimpse of what's to come with Megapack in terms of the underpinnings and making it easier to connect to the grid. Don't forget, we also had a um, a story not that long ago, maybe a week or two ago now, where they were talking about uh, Powerwall three. We're about it's about time for an updated Powerwall, so that's that's probably in the works as well. So it sounds like they're going to make a product announcement on energy at some point in the near future. I would guess 2023 would be when they do this. Uh, we're, we're hearing more and more and more about their energy solutions. So it makes sense that since we're getting all these these rumors and these, these updated stories that maybe there is the announcement on its way. Next up, we're going to hear about uh, opening up the charging network. And then the company had spoken at the Investor Day and then some of the past conference calls about uh, opening up its vehicle charging network. Uh, can you speak to some of the feedback you've been getting from both uh, Tesla owners and non-Tesla owners and uh, how the uh, the ramp of the uh, charging network may uh, progress from here? Thanks. Uh, Drew, you want to take it? Um, yeah. So as as you may have seen, we opened our first V four V four posts in Europe and and um, and our Magic Dock posts in in North America in Q one, um, and that is you know indicative of the direction we're heading with you know universal compatibility for all vehicles of you know no matter where the charge port is et cetera uh, in all major markets, and we're going to continue to roll out uh, those sort of improved offerings as we build new stations. Um, we, you know, we, we're always balancing like our ability to serve our own customers with our ability to serve new customers when doing that. Um, I think we've been able to balance it rather well. For example, in Europe, 50% of all of our of our supercharging stations are open to all EVs, um, and we've been able to do that without any increase in wait times at all for anybody. So we're, we're going to continue to take a similar approach as we do this in North America and China over the coming quarters. Don't really have anything to add there. Uh <laughs> This next question, I don't think it has much to do with Tesla, but it is an interesting question. So I'm going to leave it in. So let's go ahead and listen in. Um, so now that you've gotten to know the Twitter architecture kind of intimately oh, well <laughs> over the past six months, uh, what can you tell Tesla stakeholders about how an X.com or super app could be potentially accelerative to Tesla's business model? Uh, well, I don't know. I guess it could make it potentially make it easier to buy cars. Um, so, but we're, we're straying somewhat off topic here. Uh, because okay, all right, I think there's some benefit. I think probably there's some benefit. Yeah, let's, sure. let's, I get it, Elon. Um, so just as a follow up on manufacturing, I, I, you're a student of history. And yes. you'll know that back uh, in 1913, Henry Ford introduced the moving assembly line in Highland Park, Michigan. And the price of a Model T, which would, had already you know, been undercutting cars around the time, fell another 70 or 80 percent and hundreds of rival car companies went bust. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if, if history is repeating itself here, Elon, and that 
the recent pattern of cuts with you is way ahead of the cost curve compared to competition or is this it seems like it's a calculated strategy not not just not just in reaction to competition or changing supply demand in the market but you're you know could we could we catalyze some darwinian forces in the ev market well i mean we're we're not trying to say take take pricing actions in order to be deliberately uh, to deliberately undermine competitors or anything like that. We, we, we really don't think about competitors that much. We just look at, you know, do people like our cars? How can we make the product better? Uh, can they afford our cars? Um, and, uh, you know, the sort of the things like improving service and, and whatnot. Um, but, but like I said, we, we do have this uh, unique strategic advantage that, that we haven't, we're making a, a car that, uh, if autonomy pans out, and we think it will, um, where that that asset is actually will, will be worth a hell of a lot more in the future than it is now. So it is technically possible to sell it at zero profit, but still have the net present value of future cash flows associated with that asset be very significant. Yeah. And service and charging and insurance and all of these other ongoing revenue streams that other companies don't have. Yeah. Certainly, we want all EVs to succeed too. We just want to say that we're not in like some malicious attack to try to just yeah, crush everybody. <laughs> Definitely not. We're, we're like opening up uh, superchargers. We've made our patents available for free, so it's like we're trying to be helpful here, you know. So um, it, we're, we're not trying to we're not out to to destroy competitors or anything like that. We're trying to help competitors, frankly, um, in any way that we can. Do you think there's a world where Tesla will sell their vehicles at cost? Just hoping that you'll buy <laughs> their services. I mean, there might be a world where that happens. I highly doubt it, but there might be. Um, I know that they were just saying technically that we could do this, but it, it is an interesting thought. And really the only way that that would work on any level would, would be for Tesla to figure out autonomous driving so that it's full level five autonomy without any issues. Because otherwise, you know, wh why would you buy the services? I know that they have, you know, the the $76 a year, $96 a year connected services plan. They have insurance and things like that. But really what's going to make them the most amount of money is the autonomous features in the vehicle. And if another car company comes around and makes a vehicle that's just as good as a Tesla and doesn't charge you for those features or charges you less uh, because they just become standard. Uh, yeah, that would be a problem for Tesla in this very imaginary, imaginary scenario that we're talking about now. Like, I want to be clear. This is just pretend, not real. Don't email me on this. I won't answer. I mean, I'll say hello, but I won't answer the, uh, your, your, well, actually, if, if you do email me because it's pretend. All right. Our final question is whether or not it makes sense as Tesla grows to maybe adopt a dealership model or something similar, basically change the way that they are doing business. So let's go ahead and listen in. Yes. Good evening. Thanks for taking the question. Um, it's slightly longer term. I, I completely agree with your comments that we should look at Tesla in terms of you know, auto market share, not EV market share. But I, I'm just wondering, as you build up the market share globally, is there a limit to the direct selling business model as you practice it? And should we think about going forward, you need to look into the agency or using importers to basically develop 
market share more smoothly, I guess, um, globally. And so, in other words, you no, know, is there kind of a, 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 a fell by date for the, the direct business model as you as you practice it today? Uh, it seems to be working well so far. Um, because we, we we hear different feedback from customers who miss the human interaction or unhappy with the service, and I'm just wondering if uh, if you're seeing some growth pains in there that would lead you to change. You're not you're not seeing that. Well, I mean, there are since, since we, we we're always going to have some growing pains where you know at times, and it depends on which geography we're you know we're talking about. Where sometimes service is behind sales, sometimes it's ahead of sales. Um, you know, this is. Uh, I mean, Tesla is growing, I, I believe, faster than any company in history mm-hmm. that has that has that makes a large, complex, manufactured object. So, um, you know, there's it, these are if you're trying to max, it's, it's always difficult to match exponentials. Um, so, uh, but but I think it is helpful to have the feedback loop with with a service because. That means we feel the pain of, of service, and 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 then we can uh, ch- adjust the design to make the car need less service. Um, and I think that gives us a the the right incentive structure, um, like because the, the the best service is no service. The car doesn't break. Um, and you know, whereas if you have say a dealer network that is reliant upon service as revenue. Then you, you arguably have a misalignment of incentives, uh, where they, they, you know, they, they're making money on service, but actually we want to, you know, the, the best thing for the consumer is the car doesn't need servicing. I agree with Elon 100 percent on that. I don't have anything really to add of value, so. That's it. That is our show this week. I want to thank, again, I want to thank Gene for raising his pledge, and I want to thank Scott for becoming a patron. Thank you both so much. It's really kind of you. It helps out a lot. All of the money goes back into the show. None of the money goes into my pocket to pay for you know my personal expenses. I have a job. My wife has a job. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. Next week, we're going to talk about Rivian. And then we have news on Friday. So Tuesday, Rivian, news on Friday. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful day. And I will see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.